and welcome to another podcast of the Choose Strong Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I am joined by my friend and an athlete that I train and have been training since 2019, Deb Hammerlin. Thanks so much for being here today. Oh, I'm so excited to be on. I really appreciate you asking me to come uh, share my story with you. Yeah. Well, for those of you that don't know Deb Hamlin, well, actually, I have to say this. I I think one of the things that I love about this podcast is that it is going to be a video on YouTube. I actually forgot to tell you that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you've probably seen Deb at an aid station. I don't know anybody that volunteers her time and gives back to the community as much as Deb. Um, And Deb, I will have to say that is one of the reasons why you are one of my favorite runners and one of my favorite persons that I've ever coached is you are so dedicated to your own training. You are so focused and disciplined, but you are always looking at a way to give back to others. And I can't thank you enough just even personally because there's been certain things like even in my life that have had nothing to do with running where you have showed up and said, how can I help you out with this? And um, I just love that so much about you. And I love that today, for those of you listening, um, we are going to be talking about Deb's recent spectacular finish at the Cocodona, um, 250, no, 260, wait, 250? 250. Yeah, Yeah, 250. 250. Um, there's like two forties now and two sixties and two hundreds. And so I I keep on getting these mixed up, but, um, your finish was absolutely phenomenal. This new distance that's breaking into the ultra is more and more commonly now, but yet people are still trying to figure out how to train for it. And you literally just more than doubled the distance than you've ever done in your life. And it went amazingly. And so, um, I want to share that side with our audience today. So for those of you listening, you're going to gain a lot of knowledge, a lot of incredible insight but I really do want our audience to get to know Deb and what it looks like to be a well-rounded, balanced runner who you live a real life. Uh, you don't have the, you know, the luxury of training 15 hours a day, uh, but you find a way to get your training in and you're very serious about it, but you're very serious about what you do for others. Um, you are a great friend. I see what you post online and just the way you show up for other people. And again, for those of you that are watching, you've probably seen Deb at an aid station before. <laughs> <So> <laughs> she she kind of hangs out a lot at a lot of the races in Arizona. So um, Deb, as we dive into this podcast right now, I would love for you to just share a little bit about um, what you do today. And then we can kind of go in a little bit more until your, back, your background as an athlete. But just like today, what fills your days? Okay. Well, um, Right now, um, I've moved into that empty nester kind of position in life, which is it opened up a lot of time where I can do some more training on the weekends. But um, my husband and I have a real estate development company called Cortland Homes here in Arizona. Right now, we're doing basically working on a master plan up in Surprise. And so I work a lot on the operations side and the finance side and accounting side. So um, he's more high level on the strategic planning and sales of lot development. Um, So that's what we do uh, during the day. And then, you know, early mornings and late at night, it's training. Um, uh, I've got a a daughter that's 23. Um, She's here locally, but she just graduated from college a couple of years ago, and she has gone into her uh, vet technician 
Um, I'm really proud of her. She's she's just an awesome daughter, and I you know I couldn't be more excited for her going on her own journey. And yeah. uh, so yeah, and then I've got five stepchildren in in addition to that, and seventeen grandchildren on top of that. <laughs> Um, definitely a house full, um, when we ever, we have, you know, Christmas and Easter and all the holidays, it's, it's a blast. Well, I see on your training plan that you have a trip to Disneyland coming up. So, um, yeah. that must be involving some of those many stepchildren yes. <laughs> and grandchildren. Yes, and, and babies. Yeah. I love that. So, um, well, let's talk a little bit now. So we, we are now, uh, you have laid the foundation. Deb, you are a busy career woman. And for those of you that run your own business, and especially if you do it with a partner, or you're just doing it with, with family members, it's, it's a lot to juggle. Um, you are kind of stepping in and wearing several different hats. I mean, you just listed off like four different full-time positions that you do <laughs> in your business. So thank you for sharing that. I like to keep things here, um, on the podcast real, you know, the title of the podcast is choose strong and, um, the taglines are strong body, strong mind and strong love. And I really believe that when you love what you do and you love your life, um, it takes you to great places. You feel more fulfilled, but but having a strong mindset in all you do isn't always easy. And I know that when you are running a business and you know you have a family, um, it can be really difficult to learn how to navigate, how to train well, and how to be dedicated to that. So um, sh- tell us a little bit about your background as an athlete. What did you grow up doing? How did you actually create this really focused, disciplined mindset when it comes to running? Yeah, you know, as a growing up, I never thought of myself as an athlete. Um, I was encouraged by my parents, especially my mom, always be in some kind of sport. So she said, I don't care what you do, but pick something. So early on, even early as like three years old, she put me in swim lessons and swim team. And so I was like one of the youngest in the swim team because my older brother did it. So it was like, whatever he did, I got to do too. And so um, I, and it, you know, I grew up in Arizona. There's not a lot of other things you can do in the summer except be in a pool. <laughs> um, so I swam all the way through high school. Um, you know, I was just an average swimmer, but I never thought of that as like, I'm an athlete. I'd never ran. It was, it wasn't until my very senior year in high school. It was the last season swimming was done. Um, I did cheerleading also, but it wasn't the cheerleading that you would consider now athletic. It was more, you know, just palm and actually cheering on the football players. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, but the, my senior year of high school, it was like, okay, I'm graduating. There's no more swim. There's no more cheer. I want to still be involved. So I just walked onto the track team. And so that was, I was just thrown into any event where they didn't have a person. And I loved it. I mean, I, I just loved running. I wasn't great at it, but I just loved the community of it. I loved the way it made me feel. And from then on, it was always my go-to of like, what do I want to do to go work out? Is I would just go run. And so when I went through college, I started running every day. Um, still swam a little bit, but running became like my workout of choice. Then I, you know, that never really changed until I was about 30. And after I had my daughter at 30, I was like, you know what, I need to step it up. I want to do some bigger goals. And I started reading about this marathon program. And at that time I was running three to five miles a day, Monday through Friday. 
um, taking the weekends Typical off. recreational, right? Like just like right. you know, 45, and... 30 minutes, 45 minutes a day. That was it. I and read about this marathon work program. or anything in there. Were you, yeah. were you doing workouts or were you just kind of like getting those aerobic runs in and getting it in for the um, day? Yeah. I, I mean, a little bit. Sometimes I'd go to the gym in the afternoons and do like a circuit, mm-hmm. you know, but it wasn't really, you know, it was just a very normal circuit, you know, that yeah. you just do. I, just, I would just touch each muscle group a little bit. Yeah. That was about it. Yeah. Yeah. So this marathon training program was like from couch to marathon in three months. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> yeah. We've heard of those. Uh So that's what I did. Um, It was my first 5K because in the training program, I did my first 5K, my first 10K, my first half marathon, and then it ended up with the marathon. And so that was back in the February 2000 was my very first marathon. And then I was hooked. Like as soon as I did the marathon, where's where's my next marathon? Yeah. (laughs) And I knew this was it. I'm going to pause you right there, Deb. So yeah. you have been, you've been running for 22 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the yeah, motivation yeah. for you was just this, Hey, I've been running since my senior year in high school. I need a new goal. Or was it like you had friends that were doing it or you saw something on TV? I mean, what was it that you were like, I think I need to run a marathon now. No, I was reading about it. You know, I just started reading and consuming this, this like, this looks really cool. And mm-hmm. so what, you know, what would it be like to push myself beyond five miles? Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I'm going to do 10 miles one day. Like mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was so excited and I told people about it and they're like, well, why, why would you do that? <laughs> and I'm like, well, because I can, because look, these other people can do it. If these other people can do it, I can do it. Yeah. You know, I want to see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that thought process continues all the way to today, which is why, you know, I did Coca Donut because, mm-hmm. you know, people, I got that. Well, why, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And like, because I mean, the other people can do it. I think I can do it. I want to see what it's like. I want to see what it feels like in my body. I want to see what, you know, and so that's kind of followed the whole, you know, these 22 years. Um, but you know, it's addicting. I mean, I, I love the training. I did that first marathon and then I just started. And of course, you know, by the second marathon, I'm like, okay, I've got to do a Boston qualifier. That took like, you know, three or four marathons to get that. And then, and then, you know, I don't know, probably four years later, I had some friends said, I think you should try a 50 miler. And I'm like, no, I have no idea. I don't know. Who are these these friends? I know. Yeah. So, you know, they talked me into uh, going into the Grand Canyon and doing a double crossing of the double of the Grand Canyon. And you do it in two days. And so, okay, well, you do 50 miles in two days. And that kind of started planting the seed. Well, if I could do that in two days, maybe I could do it in one day. Okay. I'm going to pause you right there, Deb, because (laughs) I think that's really powerful is a lot of people at that time. So we're thinking about 2004, 2005 now, 2006. Is that around the time frame? Mm -hmm. Ultras were not well known. They're they're a little, they're very much more well known now uh, than, I mean, the, the sport itself is, is, has, seen an amazing growth, an exponential growth in, especially in the last three, four years. But those early 2000s, I mean, if you would have said ultra marathon, people would have asked, what is that? So how did you link up with people that already knew about the sport and how on earth were you like, that's a good idea? (laughs) Yeah. Well, 
you know, it was it was one of these things online. I was involved in the Arizona Road Racers, which yeah. was a local road you know group here. And someone had put out an email that said, hey, we're doing this 200 mile relay that we have 12, you know, 12 runners and we just lost one of our runners and you need to be a female and you need to be at that time, I think over 30 because they were doing they wanted to be in the sub masters group and they wanted to be competitive. And they're like, you know, you just have to be able to run three 10 Ks. And so I didn't know anybody at, you know, there, but I'm like. I'm it. I'm your person. And that's how I met all these people. (laughs) And so so you, yeah. So you spend, you know, 48 hours in a van with, you know, these other women and you got to know them pretty quick, you know, all of a sudden they're friends. You're like a Ragnar style, right? It was Ragnar. It was before Ragnar was around. It was called the relay at the time. It was, and we went up there. It was in the first time I'd ever seen Dean Canaris because he was doing his 200 mile debut because he ran it by himself. So he was just yep. team Dean. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that was also, I mean, looking at this guy going, wait, he's doing 200 miles while On we're doing own. splitting it up over 12 people. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> incredible. Deb, I, I'd love to point out just for a quick minute is uh, your willingness to just dive into something regardless of the, the fact uh, that you didn't know anyone. So you just kind of signed up for something that you've never done before. Uh, in your mind, it almost sounds like you were just drawn by curiosity and you weren't afraid um, of trying something new and you weren't afraid to get to know a whole new group of people. And I think that is such a, that's a game changer in life. I think that everything that you did in just those initial years are often filled with fear for a lot of people you know, fearful of even joining a run club. You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a runner. I'm not that fast. I'm not in shape. Um, I could never do that. Or why would I hop in a van with people that I don't know? And um, I've never heard of this event before. I don't think I could do that. And I, I think that when you have a willingness to be okay with the struggle, be okay with the discomfort or anxiety of meeting new people, trying something new. I mean, your life turns into a full-blown adventure. And I love that about you. I love that you put yourself out there and you still do that today. Well, I'll try it. Well, I'll join. <laughs> I, mean, I want my listeners to understand I've Deb's training plan. So I use Final Surge so we can both see the training plan. I upload her workouts, but I always encourage my athletes, add in all of the other things that you love to do, add in your family vacations, what races that you you hope to do. The more that I can understand a person's life, the better coach I can be. Deb's training plan is the most colorful. <laughs> there is like, <laughs> I'm going hiking here and going skiing here and a group of us are going to go do this. I mean, it's non- stop. And, um, even that's what I love about final surge is it's so colorful because I'm like a spreadsheet nerd and I'm like, Oh, (laughs) I love it. You know, (laughs) the purple and the green. Yeah. Cause my stuff means different. The strength training is one color and cross training is another and the biking Mm -hmm. and it's just, but Deb very often has these trips, you know, we're going to go up to Lake Tahoe and we're going to run for three days straight. Okay. Now we're back in the grand Canyon and we're going to be there for four days. And, um, I just, I love that you see life as it is and you understand that it goes by quickly. And so you plan, you plan because those trips come up really 
quickly and all of a sudden you find yourself somewhere else uh, on a trail or um, at the top of a mountain skiing and um, I, ju- I just think that's so incredible. So continuing on with your story. So you um, became great friends with these people because you signed up for that race. Yeah, that's where I got to know them. And then they're like, hey, we're coming to the Grand Canyon. And it was a mixture of um, Ironman triathletes, which I thought was, whoa, you know, that's crazy. And then, you know, there was some that were- very similar to ultra athletes. I mean, they're they're ultra athletes. (laughs) Yes, yeah, definitely. And they were, and then, you know, there was was one or two that had done like a hundred miler um, and then some that had done, you know, a 50 miler before, but they were- they're the ones that said, hey, we're going to do the Grand Canyon and started inviting me along to that. And that was that first taste of I could probably go farther than 26 miles, I think, oh, you know. Yeah, I love that. Um, and then also, yeah, there used to be this uh, publication, Marathon and Beyond. I don't know if you had yeah. you've ever yeah. heard of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that was, you know, I was reading about the marathons and, you know, the recaps of that. But then half of it was about beyond. And that was the first time I'd read about a hundred miler. And I remember calling my girlfriend saying, do you know that there's people that actually run marathons that are a hundred miles? <laughs> I mean, I had to call her just like, like it was just, it just blew my mind. <laughs> and so, to, yeah, to think about from that mindset to where I've come, you know, probably was four or five years later and started doing ultras is, you know, once I hear about it, it's kind of plants a seed in my head. Um, so from there on, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I got talked into doing American River 50 miler. Was that um, your first one? That was my first one. And what year was that? I have to look back. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's got to be maybe 2006 or something like that. Okay. I can't remember if we've ever connected on that. That was my first ultra too. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. But it yeah. was I mean. It was my fastest 50 mile since. I mean, half of it was on the bike trail. <laughs> well, yeah. And no one told me that you could hike. Like, exactly. I thought you had to run the whole thing. <laughs> you know, I see these people hiking. I'm like, what are you doing? We've got to run. I mean, that's yes. what we do. <laughs> it's a race. <laughs> it's straight up, but we're still, I'm still running. <laughs> I love it. So AR-50, as it's affectionately called, AR-50 has been around for Mm -hmm. a long time. And the race director who puts that on puts on the biggest 50K in the nation, which is way too cool. Um, 50K, Mm -hmm. part of it is run on the Western States um, course. So yeah, American River 50 is up there in in Northern California. And the course even now is still fantastic. That is a great first 50 miler. Um, If anyone listening is ever curious about, hey, what would be a good first 50. I always point people to go to the races that have been around for a long time. <laughs> they really have their stuff down. They got the marking down, the volunteering, all of that. They got a great reputation. You want that that first experience. But that one is, um, it's great to navigate because you don't feel like you're lost in the forest and searching for tags right. and a ton of climbing and... <laughs> it did have a lot of a marathon feel or at least you know the first half of it i mean you actually i would wear i wore road shoes for the first half and then you switched into trail shoes the second half oh yeah do you remember the newtons do you remember all the triathletes used to wear newton newton running yeah 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 yeah. that's what i wore i wore all 50 miles just these (laughs) newton road shoes (laughs) 
I love it. So, so we, so you did the, the 50 mile race was your first ultra. You didn't do a 50 K. Um, you know, I think I tried to sign up for a local one called Pemberton a couple of times. One, I mean, I'm from Arizona. So it, one, it was raining and I was like, oh, I can't run in the rain. <laughs> so I, I know. So I drove up and I went and it was raining and I turned around and I drove home. Oh my gosh. I love it. <laughs> you hit that distance probably though in training. Were you already um, there in training as far as hitting that, that 30 mile? For the 50 miler? I don't know. I think I might have done 30 mile, like a 20 and a 30 getting ready for the 50 miler, a back to back. Yeah, but pretty flat. I wasn't into like that much in trails. So I was doing most all my training just on canals here local, you know, the this um, Salt River Project has these, you know, canals, roads that we can go on. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so, and then that you could, you know, that there wasn't a lottery. It was right before the lottery system for Western states. So people, you know, I was told, hey, you can go to Western states. You just finished a 50 miler. And at that time I wasn't ready for it. I was like, no, not a chance. There's no way I was doing anything (laughs) beyond 50. And then you think back and I'm like, why would I ever pass up a chance to go to Western states? (laughs) I know. Now Now it's, yeah, it takes a lifetime. Yeah. It's so true. So you, so you finished that 50 miler and then I'm going to fast forward up to April, 2019, because that is when you reached out to me about Tahoe Rim 50 miler and the Tahoe 100K and looking just for more structured training and taking things to the next level. So we are now on year four of our coaching athlete relationship and so much has changed since April 2019. Why don't you share with us a little bit about one, why why you really wanted a coach? And then what was it in you that changed where you felt like you needed one and what goals were you hoping to hit at that time? Yeah. I mean, at that time I was, you know, had already peaked kind of, I think, as far as fast as I could go for, you know, and I was starting to slow down. My times were getting slower. Um, I've always been self-coached prior to that. You know, it was mostly finding plans online or I'd read about them in books and I'd follow, you know, other plans or kind of put them together for myself. And I started getting into a a rut. You know, my Monday run looked like my Tuesday run that looked like my Wednesday run. You know, I was doing the exact same thing and I was just seeing a decline in my performance. And all of a sudden I started hitting where I was, instead of like the front half of the pack or getting age group, you know, awards, I was starting to miss cutoffs or really right, you know, right chasing cutoffs on a lot of my stuff. And I had a desire to get more into the mountains. You know, I was finding more joy of being in the mountains than I was actually, you know, running a race or doing so many miles. I wanted to go out and do races where I could be in a new place. Every, you know, every race would be a new adventure. Um, And I knew I needed to get stronger on running hills. And so I was looked for a coach that was great in running hills and was a mountain runner. <laughs> and that was pretty, and, and I'd reached out to a couple of coaches and it just wasn't a fit. And with you, it seemed like a fit pretty quickly. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you were dialed in exactly what I was looking for. You know, I said, I wanted to get stronger in the mountains and you were like, okay, let's work on it. And yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that and I, and I'm so glad you did reach out, and it has been quite the journey. I I do also want to just share with the listeners too. One of the things that I noticed right away about you, Deb, was just how focused you were on what it is that you wanted to do. You knew how to define that, and I think what is helpful sometimes for coaches is is you know when we whenever we interview an athlete, we want to know what their background is. We want to know, okay, what sports did you play? Have you been injured in the last six months? What are your goals moving forward? And I just felt like from day one that you knew that there were things that you wanted to do and that you were ready to do whatever it took in order for you to accomplish those things. And of course, for any coach, that is a really fun athlete to coach is someone that is going to stick to the training and be dedicated to it because it's exciting for us. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not doing any of it for you. Right. Uh, you got to move your body on your own. You got to get up on your own and you know the effort when it's honest. And um, we're just kind of like on the sidelines cheering you on. So I know the people listening, they do want to know about Cocodona um, that, you know, and so Right now we're at 2019, that progression, that big jump that you took. I think because this race, and for many people listening, I know if you're new to ultras, you've definitely heard of 100-mile races. Um, in the last three, four years, there's been a increase in interest and the number of races that are over 200 miles. And the cool thing about this, which I personally love, is the human experiment within a 200 plus mile race. So um, we're still figuring out even the best way to train for 100 mile races. And as a coach, um, I've been coaching for a long time now. I've learned that um, the best coaching is customized coaching and you really have to listen to your body and really understand the race that you are doing. So for road marathons, I can train for a race in Germany here in my neighborhood. It's a road marathon. It's the same distance. Uh, typically 99% of the time, you're not going to be um, with super intense climbs and super intense descents. It's pretty straightforward. And most athletes are able to train right down to the pace per mile that they're going to keep. So many variables start to come into play. The further the distance, you start to have to think about things that have to do with altitude, weather, uh, the type of terrain. And then for you personally, how well, you know, how strong is, is your belly? Do you do well when you're tired? You know, how, what's your aerobic base like? Have you been running for, for many years? Are you able to endure for the, you know, for the miles ahead? So um, I think taking in all of these factors and for those that are curious about these longer races, they want to know what it takes what does the training look like? Is it possible to do a, a 200 plus mile race? Well, how much running is involved? How much hiking? Um, we're going to dive into all of that right now. But I do want you to share a little bit first, um, Deb, what gave you the confidence to actually sign up for Cocodona? Well, as you know, I was, I've been trying to get into Tahoe for a couple of years. So yes. yeah, <laughs> the Tahoe 200. I was like, oh, um, every year. Oh man. Yes, I know. And um, yeah, I mean, with, with COVID, the fires, especially the fires the last few years, 
you know, and I just, it has not happened. And so unfortunately I've been training for it. And especially last year, you know, we really put in a lot of training for 200. And so I feel like, um, for Coca Dona, I've been training for this for about two and a half, three years, even though I wasn't signed up for it. Um, and so, you know, so it was, it was one of those where, okay, I haven't been able to get in. I do want to do, I wanted to see what a 200 plus event was like, um, because I've done a dozen or so hundred milers. And so I know what, I mean, every single one's different, but I wanted to, I wanted to get a taste of what that next level was. I'm going to pause you right there, Deb. And I think that's good for the listeners to hear. If you miss that, Deb says she's done a dozen or so hundred mile races. Do you feel like that experience having done so many hundreds was a key factor into the day that you had? Uh, well, definitely the experience. Yes. Getting to know my body. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, yeah, I got to know, yeah, I just, it was practice. You know, mm-hmm. I think of it as practice on what works, what doesn't, when am I feeling overheated? When am I getting sick? What do I yep. do when I get sick? What do I do when my feet hurt? What do, you know, what do I do for chafing? When do I, you know, when do I know where I'm t- like heading over the edge and can't come back? Yeah. And this is very, this is, this is a key factor because, um, this was a conversation that Deb and I would have often. I, I would really focus on the fact that this race has everything to do with, with what is between your ears. The further you go, it's so important that we understand as, as ultra runners that the beauty of our sport is not just that you can run far. It's what you're able to do in your head. It's what you're able to endure because there's a lot of factors that keep people from getting to the finish line that have nothing to do with their fitness. It has nothing to do with whether or not they put in that 20, 30, 40 mile training run. It has to do with the other variables that maybe they did not plan for or that maybe struck anxiety or fear. And so they just decided this isn't my day. And what you've said already about knowing your body, getting used to discomfort, I mean, that's huge. Um, I think if you do not have the experience of going to the edge or being on your feet for long hours, and I don't, I don't ever put an athlete, Hey, go out and do a 20 hour training run like that. That's not going to happen. Most of us don't have time for that. The recovery that's involved is, you know, it takes away from your overall training. And so for many people, when they head out for a hundred mile race, they experience a lot of new things. They feel great the first 30, 40 miles and they hit mile 62 and they're like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) next level. So share with everyone, Deb, because I know them, what are your challenges that you typically face in a race? Because we all have them. And I think it's good for everyone listening to understand you will have challenges. Do not mm-hmm. fool yourself into thinking that your day is smooth from, from start to finish. And I don't care if you're a pro or the back of the packer, everybody hits discomfort and challenges. So share with us, what are the ones that you hit in a hundred mile race? Yeah. I mean, my number one, as you know, is, is my stomach, yeah. you know, my stomach turns, it doesn't matter. Um, it, every race, I haven't had a race. It doesn't turn. You yeah. know, and I've tried every food, every combination. <laughs> and you are incredibly fit. I want to make that clear because I saw a quote the other day 
um, about someone, you know, if you have a bad stomach, then you just need to get fitter or slow down. I was like, well, that's kind of, that yeah. That might not, no. It makes sense because at the end of the day, it's like, just go sit on a couch and you'll stop, you know, throwing up. Well, yeah, of course sure. that works for everyone. But when we're trying to reach a goal, nutrition is very specific to each person. Right. Some people can run a hundred mile race on frosting. Like that's insane to me. Other right. people can eat pizzas and sandwiches and they're fine. Uh, and then you have some people, it's like, dude, tailwind is it. And they do great. You have to find what works for you. Yes, the fitter you are, everything, everything feels better the fitter you are. Um, when you slow down, that helps with everything. It helps with overheating. It helps with breathing. It helps, I mean, it, cramping. Yes, slowing down and um, getting fitter, that's the answer to everything. But when it comes to food, there's so many variables for each unique individual that we have to respect. And it can come in the form of altitude, heat, uh, our own personal health conditions. And for some of us, there's it, it can be you know anxiety, stress, whatever it is. But one thing I know to be true about you, Deb, is that you never, ever, ever stopped practicing your nutrition on every long run training in every race that you've ever done. And you are incredibly fit. Um, the amount of training that you put in on a day-to-day -day basis was amazing. And you're very level-headed. You're a balanced athlete. I think that you know how to approach a race with a great mindset. So I would not say that your obstacle was because you were going too fast and you weren't fit. So let's talk a little bit about that. Your belly would turn no matter what you did. And many times you were second on ice. I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got to the point where I've done a few races where, yeah, I mean, the last 40, I even, I think I went to one that was maybe almost 60 miles without really any calories, which yeah. is a long way to go. <laughs> um, but I knew I couldn't go 250 miles without any calories. So yeah. I needed to work on that. But I, you know, working with you and doing these races and different uh, experiences, we kind of like created this little bag of tricks. And so sometimes they, one would work, sometimes another. Uh -huh. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so my little toolbox, um, you know, so we we have uh, peppermint candy. And I've used this toolbox with a lot of people, too, as I'm oh, in races. You know, as I see, I see people, they're getting sick. And I'm like, well, have yeah. you tried some ginger? And they're like, no, do you have ginger? Well, yes, I do. Yeah. You know, um, stick it on the side of that cheek, baby. <laughs> yeah. I had a race where a gal had morning sickness candy. You know, oh, and perfect. so I, she wants some, you want some of that? I'm like, yeah. And so now I always carry some morning sickness, you know, chews as well with me. Um, peppermint candies, like we said, work really well. Um, and then I've kind of went to like, my last stop is like, I've got a Zofran prescription if I need to take it. Yeah. And that has helped at, at times, you know, I try to maybe, you know, that's like the last resort and I'll, and I'll mm -hmm. do that. And sometimes that will work. I didn't have to use any of it for Coca-Dona, which amazing. was amazing. Amazing. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. So for those of yeah. you listening that are so curious and are like, oh my gosh, my stomach always goes south. Some of the things that Deb and I have practiced over the years is when she goes out on her long runs, and yes, some of her long runs sometimes are up to six hours. She is just trying different foods and we're taking notes. So um, whether it was just trying liquids or how close together, uh, you know, you start eating. So you can sometimes look at, okay, I want 250 calories in an hour. 
is it better that you spread out the 250 calories all within that one hour, or are you just trying to pump it at the beginning of, of that 60 minutes? And so I say, practice the duration in which you're eating. The other thing that helped me, I know when I did Badwater 2018, uh, Rafal from Spring Energy would have me take little sips of spring, like so I'd squeeze it into my mouth and then I'd immediately drink water. So it was almost, uh, and I would do that for like 20 minutes, little tiny bit of spring water, spring water, spring water, because I was so nauseous, but I was able to get in a ton of calories that way and it didn't stress out my system. Again, we're in 130 degree heat, so my body did not want to digest anything. It wanted to stay alive. That's all it cared about. But I think what's important in an in-deb situation is that she was always trying different things. Now, when we talk about the ginger, the peppermint, um, this is actually something I learned from Anne Trayson, the great legend. She, it didn't matter what Anne Trayson did. She always throwed, threw up every single race. Anne Trayson is very fit. <laughs> and Anne Trayson was moving very fast. And and rightly so, move fast. She deserved to move fast, and that was her uh, what she trained for. But there was always a point where the body is just like, "Hey, I'm I'm done with this." That it break that it would break down. It was usually at the end of the race. And so what she would do was put a either a ginger or a peppermint candy in the side of her cheek, and it would be like a slow drip. So be like just a little bit of something where her body was getting something, and that would help calm uh, her belly. So we tried this with Deb, and yeah, it was a, a nice mm-hmm. little, nice little tool in our toolbox yes. uh, to have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was one of the challenges. What what were some other things? I do we want to talk about breathing and. Yeah, I mean, definitely I have seasonal um, asthma. Mm-hmm. So depending on what is out there in, in the elements, um, that definitely will be triggered. You never know when you're going that yeah, far. <laughs> I do always carry a rescue inhaler with me in case there's an emergency. I've been out on a, you know, on a mountain thinking, okay, I'm probably three or four hours, you know, away from eight. I need to have that rescue inhaler to, you know, to get through. So before going into this race, I was really diligent on allergy medication. I just wanted to make sure it was built up in my system. So I, you know, the, the month, maybe two months before I made sure every day I was taking my allergy meds. Um, I was, you know, using, uh, you know, inhaler to make sure that my lungs were staying clear from that, um, and so going into it, you know, I felt really good. But also during the race, the same thing It's you know, every morning I would take my allergy meds. So I had my crew every morning make sure during the race that I got another dose of my allergy meds through it. And usually I'd reset. There was one time where I thought it was morning and they're like, no, it's not time for allergy meds. And I say, <laughs> Like, are you sure? I think it's morning. And they're like, no, it's not morning. <laughs> what day is it? Where am I? <laughs> but it was kind of, you know, so I was trying to go into a preventative. And so I never had to use a rescue inhaler or anything the whole time, That's which was so great. Awesome. Yeah, that is yeah. great to hear. And I thank you for sharing those things. So um, asthma, some people have adult onset asthma, some have the seasonal um, asthma. I mean, any allergies, all of that. I think it's really important remember those factors and know that those are not limiters as to whether or not you can do a race like this. They're just your things 
that you need to handle. So um, these are situations that need solutions and you are going to be the best person to handle them because you know your body the best. And so, you know, and same thing with a belly. You know, some people just got that ironclad strong belly. If you don't, it's not a limiting factor for you. It's a situation that you need to learn how to manage. Um, And we say this too, when it comes to altitude, when it comes to heat. I mean, I know people that live at sea level and, and are just fine and dandy at 12,000 feet. I mean, there is just there. And then I have friends, they get into 6,000 feet and they're dizzy and they're just got headaches. And the importance of knowing your body, of, of being a student of your body and how it works in different climates, in different situations. And when it's pushed to the edge is so powerful. And I think that was something in your training, Deb, that we were doing. We tried a lot of different things and overall your experience in, you know, all those hundreds you've done, but the various activities you were doing too, I think challenged your brain for the several days of racing um, that you had at Coconut. And I think it's important for those of you listening that you understand that when you train for an ultra, you're not just training to run. Your long runs should be used as a time to get to know your body on every level. What you know? What are the things that you say to yourself? Um, what's your your mental talk? You know, what does that look like? You know, the ability to be able to eat, the ability to be in different types of weather, and and how to manage that. You know, how to manage your gear and how to keep moving forward um, when you're tired and when you're achy. So, I'd love to dive into your training for Cocodona right now and what that looked like for you and just different things that you did. I really love that you had a variety in your training because you ski. Deb loves to ski. She loves to be in the mountains. She gets on her bike. Um, she does yoga. Let, let's go ahead and talk about what what your training looked like. Yeah. Well, I love that this was an excuse to get in the mountains. I mean, every time I saw, you know, you put on my schedule like, hey, go, go, you know, three or four hours hours in the mountains. And I'd have to tell my husband, Hey, I'm sorry, I got to go to the mountains. <laughs> Just got to do it. I mean, it's on my schedule. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, you know, as you get older, you know, yoga is really important. I mean, I find, or some kind of stretching routine. And so, once a week, at least, just trying to get some flow in was really good. You had me doing a lot more cross training than I've ever, you have these last four years than I've ever done before. So we, you know, there's a lot of biking, you know, yep. two or three times a week that would be instead of back to back to back days of running and biking instead of cross training. And so that's the aerobic fitness that's being built. And so yeah, there's a lot of weeks that I don't think my weekly mileage was above 45 miles mm-hmm. a week, but I had all these biking days and your hours days. were and right. My hours were there and then always strength training, which I know, you know, you're a big proponent of, I, I did strength training beforehand. You just supplemented it a little extra too, and tweaking it for, you know, the strong core area glutes area, but I'm always in the gym three times a week with, um, and I do strength training specifically with a trainer too, as well. And so she works with me and she, she knows enough that if I'm having little areas of like talking, you know, to me that will tweak it, you know, and almost do a little PT on the fly with it as well. Um, I think, you know, the older you get, the more important strength training is um, for running and just for, for overall health. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the benefits, you know, I, I used to, to run a women's fitness company. And one of the things that in one of the certifications I got, it was actually called midlife women's fitness. And one of the things that I learned is that when we turn 30, our metabolism drops by 3% every year, which is devastating because you could be doing working out just as hard and still put on weight, um, which I know is difficult for anybody. You know, you're like, what am I? I'm still eating the same. I'm working out just as hard, but it's the strength training that helps combat that because strength training absolutely increases that metabolism as, as you build uh, muscle, but your bone density also starts to um, reduce as well, which is uh, something that we also build up in strength training and road running. So a lot of trail runners will talk about how I don't want to get on the road because it just beats up my body too much. It is actually that your body is staying in one position on the road. Uh, that's what is is beating up your body. It's like if I were to punch you over and over again in your bicep, after a while, that's going to kind of hurt. But trail running, you're changing position all the time, up and down, side to side. And so it feels a little bit better. You don't feel as, as beat up because you're maneuvering so much more. So I think with you, Deb, what was important is knowing that you would be going so far. You had to endure so many miles with Cocodona. And when you and I had first talked about your training, what that would look like, uh, the most important factor, I believe for me, was getting you to do activity, no matter what it was, for hours a day. So sometimes you did have a run, but then I'd put you on the bike for a couple hours. Be like, yeah, go run for six miles, but then go bike for two hours. And it's like, wait, what? (laughs) And I actually did, uh, I did a lot of experiments with Deb. I trusted her fitness and her dedication that I knew I could. I knew I could tweak around with her pretty, pretty easily too, if something wasn't working. But what I believe to be true of this race was that an athlete needs to be able to endure, uh, to keep moving forward for long, long hours. Didn't matter if they were crawling, walking, skipping, or running. And they needed to be able to pivot in challenging and discomforting situations. So the idea of adding on any activities or she did, you did have a lot of double days too. I'd be like, you're going to run, you're going to do strength training, you're going to bike and, you know, and you are going to do yoga or whatever it is. There is a bit of discomfort in that. For, for runners, we just like to run. We don't like to like get on a bike after we're running. We, we want to go and run longer or be done with our workout. And especially you having, you know, run a business and do so much throughout the day, that is mentally exhausting to have to do something in the morning, work all day, and then, oh, look, coach has me doing something in the evening too. I knew that as time went on, we were building up a stronger mindset where you had to constantly be focusing on something else to do and be in the workout, whether it was running or biking or, or strength training. And you handled that amazingly. I mean, it was it was awesome. Your overall hours every week were, were pretty high, whether you're skiing, you know, you had a lot of those weekends too, which I think is important. Let's talk a little bit about that. What were some of the the big weekends that you decided to to put into each month? Yeah, I did incorporate some races as training weekends. Um, oh, yeah, you know, I was we had- so mean to you at those races. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, and they were. They were definitely, they were training. So, um, you know, sometimes I'd have to do a full pack, even though you don't need a full pack on those. I did Black Canyon 100K, 
you know, with poles the whole time. And you really don't need poles for Black Canyon. But, you know, that was part of the training, getting comfortable. But I, I made you train the day before, too. And I, and I went long the day before. That's yeah, right. I think I did 15 miles or something the day before. And everybody's like, what are you doing? I'm like, this Who's is part of my training. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> but the, I was so excited. You know who um, who used to train me that way was Ann Trayson. So Ann Trayson coached me for a few years. And I, I'm not a 50 K runner. I rare, if I, even if there's, if there's a 50 K or 50 miler ever in anywhere of my history of racing, it's because I was training for a hundred K or hundred miler. Okay. And, and I remember, um, she, I used to stay with her for three days at a time when I was training for Western States. And this one time she's like, do this 50 K on this Saturday. Mm-hmm. I drove up all day on Friday. So I drove up the day before I left my house at like mm-hmm. four in the morning. I got to her house like at 11. I got all my groceries and everything. And then in the evening, she sent me out for this 10, 12 mile run with like almost 3,000 <laughs> feet of climbing. And then the next morning at 6 a.m., I was at a start line of a 50K. And she's like, you can't race until the last 10K. And I just remember thinking how exhausted I was. I went on to win the race, but at the same time, knowing that I was completely trashed. I mean, it was not a great fast time by any stretch, but I remember thinking that was phenomenal training. My, what was great about was what I was tired. So what we did with Deb was, um, pretty much the same thing. I made you tired, made you stand at the start line, totally (laughs) heavy and said, now go run this hundred K race. And you did awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it wasn't like by far my fastest race ever, but you know, and I had to keep in my mind saying, this is good for me to go this slow, Yes, like time on my feet. It's okay to be going this slow and uh, you know, it's all going to pay back. And then some of the other races or training runs that I did, I see, I feel like I got something out of it. I learned something for Cocodona on each one. And so, you know, when I went up with, I think we did a, I did Crown King 50K, um, which has like a lot of elevation to climbing. It's like from spine to pine. And so with that, I learned, I started knowing that I can't be in the sun all day for five days. You know, it's okay to do a, 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 you know, one day race um, and get all that sun even, but you can't put enough sunscreen on to protect your skin. And so that's when I'm like, you know what, I need to start practicing with different kind of sun shirts. The hundred K that I did at Black Canyon, I realized when you have poles in your hands the whole time, you're getting sun on your hands, yes. you know, all day that you wouldn't if you were normally running, but when you're got your poles. So then I was like, you know what, I have to get some kind of sun protection for my hands. So I researched and I got some sun gloves. We did a big practice run that Aravipe actually hosted, which was going to be the original first uh, 37 miles of the race. It was a brutal training run. It was brutal. That was the hardest, I mean, definitely the hardest 50K plus I've ever done in my life. You know, and I know everybody has said that who did Cocodona last year. It was the hardest 50K ever. It was brutal. It was so long. Such a long section. You're just out and the climbing never stops. Okay, tell people how much climbing is in that. 10,000 feet of climbing and it, within like a 30-mile stretch and not a smooth, you know, it's rocks and rocks. And and so on that, and, and there was no support in most of that big section. So I kind of just had to set up my own little aid station. I had like, you know, halfway say, you know what, this is going to be my aid station. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have a little bit of food. I'm going to make sure I reset. 
And so I kind of you know, like, okay, I'm going to pretend like, yeah, there's an aid station here and take care of myself. And, you know, people go by, what are you doing? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I just made myself an aid station. And <laughs> then, so, um, yeah, so that was a great time on feet, you know, just knowing that I could do it. That was a huge confidence builder. If I could get through that, then I knew I could get through the rest of Cocodona. Yeah. And then of course the fires uh, changed changed what that course was. We ended up not having to do that first section, had to reroute it through uh, to Prescott and do a big Prescott circle, which, you know, so that heat training that I had actually was a huge advantage because people were thinking it was hot in Prescott. It wasn't hot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 85 wasn't hot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That I, I want to talk about that for a minute, Deb, because I think that is so important for people to know when you put yourself in discomfort in training, it pays back big time in racing because you can tell yourself with great confidence, I've been here before. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I try to give training races to most of the athletes that I coach. It's very difficult to get them into, hey, this is a practice race. I don't actually want you trying to go for a PR. Um, you were really good about embracing the mindset it, that takes patience and discipline to stand at a start line, knowing, especially if you recognize people that you've beat right. before <laughs> or in a community that, um, you're used to finishing in a spurt for a certain spot. And now you're not, now you're showing up tired and you're like, I'm going to be pretty slow. Yeah. Your discipline is, is incredible. Um, we got to put our pride away if we want to be the best. We got to save up the good stuff for when it counts. But the problem is that many times, and myself included, we give things away in our training because our pride creeps in, or we don't have the confidence to believe that we're doing enough or that we're going to be you know, strong enough on race day. And I think that you were very trusting and dedicated to your work, you knew it was it was going to pay off. So let's dive in. We're almost an hour into this podcast. I want to talk about the actual race experience and what it takes to plan before you get to the start line. So we're going to talk about that week before you even stood at the start line. Um, you had your crew, but the stuff that you did to be prepared and the plan that you had mapped out right in that Excel sheet, please share that with us because it is gold. (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, I started more than a week before, like, you know, a few months before started to build, (laughs) started building the spreadsheet, you know, and the spreadsheet includes, you know, it has a full of figuring out, you know, kind of a feel of what you're, where you're going to be and where you're going to need help. But then all of the different kinds, of, I had a, a spreadsheet just for food items because I didn't know what was going to work, what wasn't going to work. And so I wanted to make sure I had all these different options to be included. And then as far as gear goes, I wanted a lot of redundancy. Like what happens if my poles break? I need backup poles. What if it does rain? I need rain gear. Um, we had to have required gear for you know hot weather and we had to have required gear for cold weather. So I needed those options. And a lot of it was just trying to get as much research as I could on people who'd done 200 miles before and the Cocodona before. I would read as much as I could as far as race ports would go or watch videos. You know, I saw someone that had said, hey, on these 200 miles, down pants are it. You've got to get down pants. Okay, never needed them, but I have down pants in my gearbox <laughs> in case I got that cold. What was the thought on down pants? You just get so cold at night. 
sometimes, I think. And I could see, you know, since I am used to warm weather, you know, I, I was much more nervous about the cold than I was the heat. Yeah. So I definitely had, I go, I brought ski gloves just in case my hands, (laughs) you know, so I'm I'm 90% of the stuff I didn't use, but it was there in case I did need to have it. So, so what's really important for people listening to Deb, this is, I, I love that you're talking about this. Deb is not a negative, cynical person who was expecting, oh my gosh, like this, I'm, I'm so terrified of this. She, however, was planning for every negative situation, right? <laughs> like a situation that would hinder you from moving forward. You planned for it, not with negativity in your mind, right. but knowing I'm going to be stronger than it. I'm going to already have a plan in place. I'm going to have a solution for it just in case. I love that you have backup poles. I love that you had even extra snow and cold gear, that you had even more food than you you knew that you were going to eat. That is key because in some way it also offers you security and confidence on the course. Let's say that you're 20 miles away from your crew. That actually keeps you moving forward when you're like, I just need to go these 20 mm-hmm. miles until I can get to those down pants and I know they're waiting for me. As opposed to someone that's like, oh my gosh, I can't go another step. There's nothing waiting for me and I'm freezing. The breakdown in the mind, the negativity that starts to spiral when we have not prepared ourselves for the situations that are very real in races like this um, can be detrimental to moving forward in the race. And I want to make sure I don't forget, you know, you, you were 22nd to finish cross that finish line. Am I, am I right? I, the original ones did say 22nd. Now they moved it up to 19. Somewhere three people went, went away. <laughs> well, that was for the, okay. okay that was, for, and that's for female. For female runners. Regardless, amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. Having never done this distance, I really wanted to point that out. I hadn't seen the updated version, but I think that what is good to know here is your race day starts before you get to that start line. And what you did to run so well had nothing to do with how many miles were on your legs. So so you had a spreadsheet, you were preparing for every scenario. What did your house look like those few days before you left? Um, you know, well, I think for probably two weeks we had my, our, my bedroom or our bedroom was just full of bins, you know, and so I had to organize bins. And as I was collecting things, they went into the different bins and some one was just medical supplies, you know, like if anything comes up with feet, you know, if I fall, I have blisters, if my stomach, extra stomach stuff, what if I need, you know, like a stick in the ball, you know, to like rub out muscles. I had, you know... Um, the blue rub to put on there, definitely, you know, squirrel's nut butter. And I, I think I went through a half a tub of that hap, happy feet that squirrel's nut butter has. Because every time I came in, I would just, you know, take my socks off, rub, you know, rub my feet out, clean them up and put more of the happy toes on. Uh, and I have to say, I mean, as far as comparing myself to other people, I didn't have any feet trouble, <laughs> you know, you know. A few blisters, but minimal. And, you know, nothing I ever had to tape up, nothing I had to deal with. I had more the last, the day five, I started getting nerve pain, but it lasted, you know, three or four hours, you know, out of 112 hours. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let, let's get to the start line, Deb. Let's get to the start line of this race because I do want to dive in more into all of the situations that you encountered yeah. where you, 
were able to tackle because you were prepared. So what time does the race start? And um, go ahead and give a shout out to your crew. I mean, as I, I have that in my mind, I wanted to, because the crew was for me critical. I know you did. <laughs> I do, how do people do this on their own? I have no idea. I mean, my crew was so dialed in. And, you know, I handpicked this crew. The thing that was crazy is they didn't know each other before this trip. Oh my yeah. gosh. And that yeah. can, I mean, that, that was, you know, that was, yeah. I mean, I was trying to tell each one, you know, about each other before they met, but you yeah. know, it was like, I, you know, they were the right personalities, but I was like, they had yeah. to spend a lot. They had to spend 112 hours with each other yes. as well. So, <laughs> so yeah. And it just, I mean, it couldn't have gone better because I've had races that the crews didn't quite go so well. <laughs> so that's part of the learning experience as well. It you out as a runner. You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's when you're having to think through things more than they are because they, you know, they're like, oh my God, my, yes. my runner's here. And then they completely space out like what they're supposed to be doing. Yes. Um, but not this totally. case. My crew was great. So Marsha French, um, Darcy Swanson, uh, Dan Davis, Erica Rackley, and Shannon McQuaid, you guys were awesome. You got me through it. This is why I, you know, was able to have such the great race I had. Yeah. Really Absolutely. And hats off to you, Deb's crew. Um, I, I mean, I'm feeling that in my heart too. Mm-hmm. The people who support you are absolute gold yeah. into making you, you know, as best as you can be. Yeah. So um, never, ever, ever estimate those that essentially give up their life in order to help you get to a finish line. I mean, they're using, I mean, I know when I do bad water, my, my buddy, they take vacation days. Mm -hmm. They take time away from their family, uh, time that they could be training themselves for their races. I mean, everyone's a runner on my crew. And so I really have just a great deep respect. And if you've never crewed or paced, you should. Uh, and so I just thank you for, I know you wanted to honor them, Deb. So I wanted to make sure that we, we inserted that in there because that that I know how important that is to you. Um, Deb wrote a very, very sweet, uh, race recap and sent it to me. And that's just another thing I love about you, Deb. You're so grateful for those that, that support you and are there for you. So, um, okay. So we start, we go to the start line. Let's go ahead and just dive into the race. Yeah. It's, you know, it started at 10 in the morning, which is a little bit later. So the sun was up, it's pretty intense, but again, you know, I felt like we were in Prescott. So it was probably in the low eighties, maybe high seventies. So even though it's full sun, I felt pretty comfortable. Again, we're going at an easy pace. We, um, I probably would have. Can, can I ask you why, why they start at late? Why would you not start at 4 a.m., 5 a.m.? Uh, the original start time was at five when it was going to be down in Black Canyon. I believe that their permits, if you look forwards, let's say going from to Jerome, to, you know, Flagstaff, those were based on certain times of the day we would get there. I think they thought this or certain times of the week we'd get there. Um, I, this was going to be a little bit faster course. And you saw that with the finishing times because of the first 50, 37. Well, actually the first 60 miles was completely new and it was a faster course. So people, so permit, said they needed to delay you. I'm, I mean, I'm, they didn't tell us that, but I am interpreting that's the way that, so that when they got to pass mile 60 on, 
everything kind of was almost in the same time frame as it would have been. Right. So they pushed it forward by by five hours. Okay. And so we, instead of that's a hard start time, by the way, for anyone that's never had a late race start. I know Boston used to do a, a later uh, race start. Deb, I think you probably ran it at that time. I think it yeah, used to start at noon. They don't do that anymore. No, they, oh. no, I, they don't. They, they, it's earlier. Yeah. I don't think it's as early as, as most marathons, but yeah. I remember when Boston had a moon start yeah. and it was the worst. You get up and you're like, all I want to do is run and now I have to wait around. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you started at 10 a.m. Yes, that's right when heat is rising. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had you were great with heat. So how did that first, let's talk about the first 50 miles of that race. How did you feel and what was your strategy? Yeah, I mean, you try not to get too excited, but you definitely are running a little faster than probably still should. Um, chatting it up quite a bit, taking it in all the scenes. I mean, there was there was a bigger climb than I expected in that first half because if you looked at the profile, um, I thought, oh, okay, the first thirty is going to be straight down, and then it's going to be straight back up on the way back. Well, it wasn't exactly. There was some hills in there. I probably should have taken poles. I didn't pick up poles until mile thirty six. Okay. You know, but everything went fairly well about mile 32, which is close. I usually have a 40 mile stomach. So about 32, you know, my stomach said, you know what, I'm going to throw up now. I'm, I'm done with, you know, yeah. you, that, that last gel, it isn't going down. <laughs> and that's usually when I know I'll take a gel and okay, that was my last gel. I, so um, I never took a gel after mile 32. <laughs> and I'm taking those spring energy gels. So it's not really gels. Yeah. I mean, it's real food, Dude. but yeah, yeah, that was, that was it. And I was suppling with um, tailwind, but from mile 32 to the, to where I could meet my crew the first time 36 was four miles. So um, there was an aid station there. I grabbed some Tums, some water and I'm like, okay, it's downhill. I can make it in. I got to there. And I'm like, okay, I need to do a reset. My stomach has turned. So we're at Skull Valley at then, which is, you know, a little bit farther down outside of Prescott. And, you know, I tried to do the real food they had there, which is hamburgers, threw all that up. That wasn't going to work. So (laughs) uh, we're getting ready for to go into the night. So I did a gear change. Um, I just tried to take some time. I had brought some of that non-alcoholic athletic brewing company beer that seemed to actually oh, yeah. work. I think the carbonation, the carbonation in it not being sweet, um, but getting some yeah. calories in, you know, usually LaCroix works really well for my stomach too, but having yeah. a little bit of calories with it. Um, I did, you know, I drink quite a few of those throughout the entire race. Anytime I saw my crew, I'd, I'd have them give me one of those. That is awesome. Now, did you, did you have a plan I know you had a plan, Um, but (laughs) tell us your plan that, you know, that you had this routine every time you see your, your crew. Yeah, pretty much. I tried to get real food in like a meal Mm -hmm. every time I'd see my crew. And so I wanted to get in more than just, you know, a few hundred calories. I wanted to get a full big meal in. Um, that one didn't quite work so well. So we waited until I could get some ramen in. I got some noodles in. And when that finally settled, then I'm like, okay, we, I think I'm good now. Liz, I got to keep moving on. And um, mm-hmm. so then it started getting into the night at that point, um, and it was a climb. So it would be another 30 miles that I wasn't going to see my crew again and going into the night. I was a little bit slower. I had my poles climbing out, um, and we'd hit, him, hit into Whiskey Row. I kind of was starting to 
leapfrog and you start seeing the same people back and forth and then yeah. they start becoming your people to get you there. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that's really important because, pe- you know, I, I will tell you this. We get contacted all the time from people that are actually afraid of running at night. They can't fathom several nights out on the trail. Mm-hmm. And how often was it that you're running alone and what are the stories that you're telling yourself when you are all alone? Or did you try to latch on to other runners and did you guys kind of huddle together in those night hours? Um, you know, the the first night I saw a lot more people. Um, we're a little bit, you know, we're closer together and we're going back and forth. You know, I would have some stomach issues and and end up having to, you know, stop and throw up. And then so they would kind of move ahead and then they would have the same issues and then I'd move ahead and then we'd run together. I'm not a nervous person at night. I think I run enough early mornings, which are in the dark all the time that I'm used to it. I mm-hmm. also, I mean, those Kagala lights are amazing. And uh, I used a Kagala that, light. That's the headlamp company it's, you it's use? A, it's a, yeah, it's a waste. I use it as a waste light. And it, I mean, it's yeah. basically like a truck, you know, that's going through for it. It just lightens up everything. And I'd, you know. For, lights up everything. Yeah. So for something, I got it for, you know, for 200 miles. So if it's something that you're nervous about your vision or some, get those, that they're great. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah um, the waste, the waste lights are where it's at. And, so, and do you do the headlamp on top of it too? I do so a headlamp. I don't turn it on. It's just there as an emergency or if I needed that's to look great. at something directional. But yes, yeah, yeah, that's the only yeah. reason that I have it. Okay, that's really good. So you you were kind of huddling. There was kind of a group. You guys were all aware of each other out there. Now this is we're getting into like closer to the twenty mile mark, twenty hour mark here yeah. at this point. Are yeah, you- I mean, okay. And so um, I think I ended up coming in right as right at dawn. I was coming into Whiskey Row, which was mile 60. And there I had a plan. My original plan was every 60 miles, I was going to go ahead and do um, a nap. I was going to try to get a good meal, spend time with my crew and nap. And I didn't know how long I needed to nap. I didn't want to go over three hours, but I said, okay, let's set my set my uh, alarm for two hours. But okay. exactly one hour, I woke up, I was wide awake. And that seemed to be every time I laid down one hour, I'd wake up and I was ready to go. It, it, I love that. Now, did you do that every 60 or did you find that, okay, I need it every 40 or every 30? I mean, as time went on, what worked? Yeah, I did it for the first 260, so the 120 miles. And then the second day I realized, well, this, the second day was a lot of downhill. We had to go down through Jerome. And so a lot of bombing downhill and I think a lot of that took a toll on my quads as I was trying to go through. So when I got into that next aid station with my crew, I'm like, you know, I didn't really want to say much, but I'm like, I definitely see blood in my urine. And I was nervous yeah, about, you know, that, you know, and what that could be doing to my kidneys. And, you know, one thing I promised my husband was take care of my body. Don't, you know, push it to the point where I had to go to the hospital or anything. So Going into the third day um, is where I really picked up, you know, at Pacers for the rest of the the way. And I'm like, we're going to take this third day really easy and we're going to hydrate the heck out of me. Can I pause you there, Deb? Because that is so important what you just talked about. And I know people that are looking to do these longer races, they think about stuff like that. They do think about, you know, this is this is hard on your organs. 
your body's processing things. It's, it's getting jostled around over and over. Downhill, for anyone that's new to trail running, downhill is harder on the body than uphill is because you're picking up your body and slamming it into the ground with a greater force than obviously moving uphill, you're not slamming. Uh, it's harder because you're pushing against gravity, but you really brought up an important part uh, of ultra running that I think all of us can learn from. And that is one, knowing your body well and putting away your pride when your body says, hey, I don't like this and I'm going to show you why I don't like it. You examined your urine, which is so important. Your urine tells you when you're dehydrated. In this case, it, it was telling you like, hey, there's there's blood here. This, is, this isn't healthy. What did you think of in that moment and what was your plan right away? I know you said you went slower, but what mile were you at when that happened and what did you do to, to change that situation to make it better? Yeah, I'm looking. It's probably, I was about... Yeah, I was getting the, yeah, the 120 is just under the 120 mile mark. So not even halfway yet. Yeah. And so I definitely didn't want my race to be over, but I didn't want to get rhabdo either. Yeah. And so, and, and my quads were at that time, I could feel them. They're pretty sore. I was getting some lactic acid buildup. So that downhill definitely um, caused some, some havoc on it. So, and so that's my thought was just like, okay, let's, let's just monitor it. Let's just see how it goes make sure I get hydrated the heck out of it, do a lot of hiking versus running, you know, and be careful on the downhills. And there wasn't a lot of downhill sections after that, luckily. So it, mm-hmm. it wasn't, didn't have to worry about it as much. So slowing down, taking in a lot of fluids mm-hmm. and being okay with, you know, that change of pace, you were very aware of the course you know, being educated on the course is key. So had there been another, you know, 3000 foot drop, you knew that, okay, we're walking that. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. So you picked up your pacer. That was the first time you had a pacer. Well, I, I had a pacer for a small section before then, but not during the downhill. We had kind of found, we, we had, I had done with Marsha, um, a weekend in the Grand Canyon training. We didn't talk about that, but we had done a couple days in the Grand Canyon. And um, she did the first day and realized her knee did not like downhill. So we kind of, I had to switch up my pacing plan based on what my pacer's abilities were. And so we, I had her brought her in a little bit earlier on where she could do the climbing and then I would do the downhills by myself. And then she came back in and did, and did like the flats again. So, um, so she came in at that point uh, for the flat section. It was like at a dead horse park. And then we headed into Sedona. So that was day three. And that was, I mean, it was a beautiful day. It was warm, but again, I mean, I felt really comfortable with that level of heat, you know, prepared for it. You had two naps at by this time, right? Yes. You had two one-hour naps two one hour as naps. you entered Sedona. Yeah. Okay. And so we're coming to Sedona. My plan, original plan was to go, Sedona was like, you know, 30 miles. My original plan was you know, I'm going to go 60 again before I took a nap, but with the blood in the urine. And then at, when we were coming into Sedona, we got a little disoriented. We're kind of tired. Marsha's phone died. So she wasn't able to navigate. And so I'm trying to navigate with two hours of sleep over 120 miles or, you know, hundred and at that time, I guess 150 miles. <laughs> and so 
um, we were on the right track, but we just didn't feel like we were, you know, it was one of those things. We kept questioning ourselves. So, you know, like we came into Sedona, I'm going to, so you're not seeing markers then. I mean, are you, they're not that, you know, no, they, they're not that frequent. They weren't, they're not that frequent. Cause it's a 200 miler. You can't mark the heck yeah. out of it. I found that when you're in town, they marked it less. And I don't know if it was because you're in town and there was restrictions from the cities or, you know, yeah, we were in a trail system, but it was kind of like the roads went over it. So we felt like we were underground. And at that point coming in, it almost was like, you know, it seemed a little sketchy, you know, maybe there were some people sleeping down there kind of thing. And I didn't expect to be going into the night. It was just starting to get darker, especially being underground and we're a little darker. And so I didn't have my Kagala light. I just had my backup headlamp. So so I wasn't seeing okay. that great until until um, we came out. So I decided, you know what, Sedona is a great place. I'm going to take another rest. You know, I'm going to I'm going to you know I'm fine on cutoffs. Let's just err on the side of caution and and get another rest. And so that way I was able to eat. Uh, by that time I'm eating really well. You know, by second day on, my stomach just loved the food. I don't know what it was, but it just took. You know, I think I just I had read also someone else having that experience of like. Um, I think Courtney DeWalter, like one of her 200 mile races where she puked all the first day and then the rest of the race, yeah. she was fine. And so I, my mind, I'm hoping this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do a good reset, you know, have my normal hundred miler first day and then I'm going to reset. And I was able to yeah, eat everything. That, that's incredible. I mean, the body is able to adapt to stress and I think you're consistent training and and knowing that you know day by day you're putting in the work you're practicing your nutrition um it was almost like your body just clicked over and thought oh wait this is we're actually going to keep doing yeah, this right. and we really need fuel <laughs> uh so we need to, we need to figure this out really quick i also think it's important that people understand that throwing up isn't always this uh, intensely negative thing. It's just your body saying, hey, that didn't work. Try something else. You know, drink a little bit of water, give me a minute to reset, and then try something else. And I, I think that is mm-hmm. exactly what you were doing. Yeah. And in, in some of those big, really big training weeks, I found out that my cravings changed. Like typically, I don't cr- Yeah, didn't you say you don't really eat a lot of meat? I don't eat any red meat. And, um, I don't eat cheese and I, man, I mean, I was craving fat. I mean, so much fat. And so I knew I needed as much fat as I could get because that's what my body had been craving. And so, yeah, I, you know, we kind of laughed at the end because I was like, if it's one of those foods I never eat, then bring it on. I want it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So like, I the, love like it. the very last aid state or the second to last aid station, there was Girl Scout cookies. I'm like, oh yeah, bring me some Girl Scout cookies. Just. <laughs> <laughs> and were you eating a bunch of bacon too? Oh I think yeah. You said I always, yeah. I started carrying bacon in my pocket. And so I always had bacon or uh, my crew went and got beef jerky from the Circle K. And so I had I beef jerky it. in my pocket, you know. Um, yeah, you know, the gels weren't working. So the bacon and jerky was where it's at. Now you, you had mentioned in your race, um, recap that you would come into aid stations and notice how much happier you, you were and, and just that you felt like you, you looked a little bit better than a lot of the runners. (laughs) Um, I thought that was really interesting. I loved that you Notice that. What were some of the things that you think probably contributed to that? 
You know, I don't know. I mean, I guess mindset as far as I was excited that I finally got there. Maybe, you know, trying to get to the Tahoe 200 after a couple of years and the third year finally here I'm out doing my 250 mile race. I was so grateful to be there and I just loved being outside in the environment. It didn't seem like five days. It seemed like one really, really long day. But I don't know. I just had I just felt good. You know, there wasn't any time where I felt bad. You know, even when I threw up, I mean, it was like, eh, I threw up, but then I feel fine. You know, I mean, I was just having fun. I just, and so, um, yeah, happy to, happy I made it to the next milestone. You know, I definitely was going aid station to aid station in my head. I had a little laminated sheet that I had put in my pocket so I could always look and see, okay, how many, how, what's the next aid station? When am I going to see my crew next? And, and go from there. And so, um, not until that Mount Eldon climb. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And we're going to get to that, that Mount Eldon climb. In my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, it's so gnarly. But I liked even that you had that little laminated piece telling you when you're going to see your crew again. Quite often when athletes are running 100 mile races, I always say, hey, break it down into three parts. You got the middle you know, the first third, the middle third, and the last third. And it's a lot easier, uh, you know, and some people do four parts, you know, every 25 miles is, is a section. Getting to the next aid station, getting, you know, focusing on, okay, I'm going to see my crew at this point. Were those kind of mental cues that, that kind of kept you moving forward? Or were you always just thinking of the finish line? Uh, oh, definitely. I never thought of the finish line until the last aid station. I was I, I was just thinking, you know, I was staying in the moment. Um, I always tried to stay in the moment and just that where I, where my, I was going to see my crew next. So you are now working uh, on mile 150. You have a pacer at this point. You guys are running on the flats. Why don't we dive into, you know, at, one, at what point and if at any point, did you feel like I'm not going to finish this or this is really long or I'm getting really tired or, oh my gosh, this distance? Yeah. I mean, I really felt great this whole race. I mean, we, yeah, we'd gone in through Sedona. That was day three. I was, you know, I was trying to have fun with getting online every once, just like once a day I would, you know, do Facebook live. And when I did it the first day, I realized my, like my parents were watching and, you know, my dad was like, oh my God, I just saw you on Facebook live. And then he realized hey, there's a live stream. This is really cool. And so I'm like, you know what? I'll just do that once a day, you know, just to kind of check in, let people know I'm still going, I'm still here. And this is what I'm doing. And this is what I've done today. And so that was kind of fun. You know, another part, another layer of fun this race had that just kept me excited to go that I felt like I was participating not only with my crew and the other runners, but all these people that are watching as well. And so, you know, I'm a I'm really involved with the ginger runner yes, crew, you know, they're crew, awesome. you know, Ethan yes. and Kim, Newberry, which are great. And so that community was so supportive. I could just feel it. You know, I'd get comments oh. back from um, one of my pacers of like, hey, so-and-so just text or, oh, they're on the live stream and they're cheering you on. And so that was great. But moving into to the fifth day is when we went into like, when we got up to Fort Tut Hill, I felt like now I can see the finish wow. line. Like we still had, we had a 50 K to go, but I was like, that's a huge milestone. You know, I was like, as soon as, and I worked that aid station last year. So I knew what runners looked like. They either looked amazing or they looked right. terrible, but they all kept going. 
you know, they all were like, hey, I just have yeah. miles left. I've got 200. Which is hilarious to anybody listening because that <laughs> moment that you even reached the 200 mile mark, I, I, that's yeah. astronomical mileage. I mean, that is incredible. Yeah to be able to go. So you had already doubled what you had ever done before. And now you're going to go beyond that. And for a lot of our listeners, they understand the training that it takes to do a 50K. That's months and months of training just to do a 50K. I mean, that that mileage itself is no joke. So now you have over 200 miles on your legs and you're telling yourself, I only have a 50K left. <laughs> I love yeah. it. And I know I'm going to finish. So, you know, that's what I'm excited. Yeah. 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 So I'm thinking, okay, my goal is to finish before dark. Didn't quite happen. But a mile, so with 21 miles to go, we go into Walnut Canyon. I wasn't supposed to get a new pacer. I had a friend that was also doing Cocodona. And he ended up ending his race at Sedona. So one of our good friends, um, she was going to pace him. She was able to jump in. And it was just great. It was having someone fresh again. She's one of my best friends. Um, I'm like, oh, I just was really energized, probably overly energized coming into Walnut Canyon. I think I probably burned up some extra adrenaline that I should have saved for the climb. And so, yeah, coming into Walnut Canyon, I just knew 20, you know, 21 miles is nothing. Just happens to be a big mountain I have to climb. Well, tell us about the mountain that you had to climb and what happened at the top. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I look at some of the video. I mean, I think I'm, like, running hard, right? And I look at the video, and it's a hobble. I'm hobbling. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm, I'm moving really fast. But the sun does start to go down, and that was the first time out of the whole race that I was like, I cannot stay awake. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to take caffeine gum. Um, I took a caffeine pill. I just couldn't stay awake. And, you know, I just said, keep moving. Um, you know, I told Shannon, like, I, I'm really tripping out here. So she thought I was tripping over my feet, said, well, just use your poles. And I'm like, no, not yeah. kind of tripping. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really think I feel like I'm on drugs here. It's experience, you know, to go through it. And, you know, I hear the stories, but I got to experience, like, what it was like. And so that climb started and I felt good in the climb. It was just not being able to stay awake. And so we, we were moving pretty good. I mean, I felt good as I passed some people that give you a little boost, like, you know, morale boost of like, okay, well, I passed this person and I passed this person. Okay, yeah. you know, I'm going to make it. And then the wind hit and it was like, I mean, I knew it was coming. Then I'd been told that. And you're at the top of the mountain right now? It's about halfway up. I mean, it's hitting us hard. There was definitely, oh, by the time we get to the top, there was about a 40 degree temperature. Oh my top. goodness. That's drastic. So we were still in our shorts, in our short sleeves, but I, you know, I had all my jacket and warm gear. I just, I didn't want to stop because I wanted to get to the aid station to get, I wanted to get off this yeah. mountain. And so we just kept pushing and pushing with the wind gust and my disorientation. I mean, my pacer had to actually hold my pack so I wouldn't fall down. Yeah. Fall off. Stabilizing your body so that you're not falling yeah, over. Yeah, it was like physics because every step was not yeah. secure. Oh my. <laughs> and, you know, at some point too, or, you know, we somehow lost the trail because of the, you know, at night, the visibility isn't great. And the trail, it's, you know, big boulders that you're trying to go over. So we're scaling up the mountain. I'm, I'm leading and somehow I decided I couldn't see, find the trail. So it must be straight up. 
So I started crawling straight up and I'm like, I don't think this is it, but we finally like catch the switch back and then like, oh, there it is. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So finally we made it to the top. It seemed like for hours and hours, but looking back, it wasn't that long. You know, it just, in my mind, it took forever. And, and to get to that aid station, you know, um, it was, they moved, it used to be at the top of the mountain, but because the winds were so hard, they moved it farther down. So I tried to get there, but I just, you know, it, we were freezing. We were, we were like hypothermic yeah, at that point. Dangerous. You know, yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So I found where at least a shelter of a tree, we were able to get under, get our jackets on, put pants on, just, yeah. It made the world a difference. And so, yeah, I got to the aid station, wolfed down an entire burger and coffee within like oh two minutes. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah. The, your belly with all the, you know, the situations that you've had over the years with, with your belly. And to hear yeah. you say that you were, you know, taking down hamburgers and I, I mean, it's just, it's incredible how good you were feeling and that your body was like, all right, this is what we're doing. And we're gonna make we're gonna make it happen. It's just awesome. So you you made it to the aid station. You ate your burger. How much longer did you have now to get to the finish line? Eight miles to go. Eight miles yeah. was that just a celebration run at that point? I mean, still. I, I mean, I'm still was pretty tired. My at that point, the nerve pain in my feet was pretty oh, intense. So the poles were invaluable because every step, especially like one hurt worse than the other. So I felt like I was having to use those poles just. And it wasn't blisters. It was just, they're done, you know, after so many miles. But yeah, it was just like, let's just keep moving. Every mile we're getting closer. And once I got out, we had to, you know, it was about a road for a few miles. And then we went back through trails again. And then we came out into actually Flagstaff out of Buffalo Park. And you hit, you know, pavement. That's when the celebration, like in my mind, like, I'm really getting happy now. I don't care. Right. So how many miles was that? Once you hit flax, how long was it till you got to cross that finish line? I think it was a couple miles, maybe less. Yeah. And did you see people, I mean, were people coming to find you? Did you see people on the road? I mean, what was, what time of day was that? We would say about a half a mile to the finish. Then one of my previous pacers, Daniel, he was he was, had been doing some live streaming for Aravipa. So he came out with a video and he had had the ginger runner crew on there um, that were chatting, you know, live yeah. chatting. And you're coming in and it's like a quarter to two. I'm like, what are you guys doing awake? It's a quarter, quarter to two. two in the morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. In the yes. morning. Yeah. And they said that, you know, they had figured out when I'd be in, they'd set their alarm. How amazing is that? I love that community. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. So, you know, um, coming around the corner to that, to that final finish line. Yeah. I mean, I just had nothing but joy of that. And it's mind blowing. Like, really went 250 miles like and had a great time and had a great time are we are we hearing this people i mean this is just amazing you didn't you so you weren't on hands and knees crawling as you crossed that finish line what were those last steps you just have the biggest smile on your face yeah i mean you know when you see the finish line you you can run in at at that point it's an (laughs) outer body experience like suddenly it's a hundred meter race and and, yeah. and you're done. What was the first thing you did as soon as you crossed that finish line? I mean, I think I just, I kept paused. I mean, I was standing there because I got some pictures where I'm just like overwhelmed of like, I can't believe I just did that. You know, you're taking in all the feels, yeah. right? Yeah. Just... <laughs> and then I want to sit down. 
<laughs> for a long time. And, and so that is actually a very important part that I know everybody wants to know, Deb, what in those immediate days, especially the first two to four days, what did your body say to you? Yeah. Um, ow. <laughs> it. <laughs> ow. Ow. Yeah. Ow. Uh, yeah, it it definitely knew it went that far. My feet swelled, my ankles, my legs were swelled quite a bit. That pain that I was feeling those last uh, eight to 10 miles in my feet continued for several <sighs> days. I wasn't able to really sleep through the night until Tuesday night. I finished Sunday, Saturday morning. And so I really couldn't sleep through the night uh, solidly until Tuesday night because of the pain that I had in my feet, they just felt like they were on fire oh. all the time. So it was icing them constantly. I would have to sleep with ice packs on wow. my feet. Because of you know the risk to your kidneys, I try not to take any painkillers, you know, any Aleve or Advil or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I ended up taking a couple the first night, but I think that's it. And then, you know, you're just tired. So your brain's kind of, kind of in that fog all the time. Don't make big decisions. Like, like you already signed up for another 200, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I did. Didn't I? T- yes. You there? It might be that. Which I wasn't surprised. It's like day five and she's like, I'm ready to run. And I was like, no, you're not. I literally wrote in her training plan, people, yeah. you have yeah. 10 days of mandatory rest. And I said, by day, I think it was day six or seven. I literally wrote this in there. I know you're going to run a run today, but you may not. So here's what you can right. do. And mind you, everything that I said she could do, she did. So she was swimming and she was biking and she was doing yoga. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I said to go run 10 miles, she probably would have. But you were yeah. itching to get out for a run by day 10. And um, I think what's important for people to understand, whether it's a, your first 50 miler or your 10th 100 miler, you will feel good because you got all that fitness. So mentally, you're so proud of yourself and what you did and the distance and everything. You will want to run, but the uh, amount of healing that the inside of your body needs to do is very real. That inflammation that's there, even if you do feel good, uh, you do need a downtime. The system needs to have that reset and that rest. But also I feel like Deb for you, because you uh, were so dedicated and disciplined to your training day in and day out. This is a very real thing I don't think is talked about enough. I think for runners that are doing 100 miles, 200 miles, you you kind of do get into a, a almost a, a downward phase as well. Um, you can almost have those feelings of like, oh my gosh, it's like it's like right after you have a baby or right after you get married. It's all this lead up, this build up for months and months and months to something great, and then it's not there anymore. And suddenly your coach is saying you can swim for 20 minutes, and you're like, what? <laughs> that that part's really difficult. And so managing the mental side of recovery is so important. And I have often said, uh, put fun things on your calendar, plan to meet up with friends, plan vacations, massages, read some books, get that hobby going, like start cooking, like have other things that you can do that remind you of who you are as a person. So I do love that you immediately had Disneyland planned. Although I was like, are you kidding me? Disneyland is so exhausting. And it's like 15 hours on your feet every day. But then I was like, doesn't surprise me, you little sneaky one. <laughs> I'm getting that miles on my feet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I do want to talk about that. I want I want you to share a little bit 
mentally what you were going through in that, you know, those first 10 days. Thank you for sharing how your body was doing that. I love that your feet held up so well. It's because you took care of them so well. But let's talk about the other parts too. Yeah. I mean, luckily, I think I was exhausted that I wasn't as itching to get out and get back into it because it is, it's, you know, it's a lifestyle, it's a habit, it's a daily thing that you're doing. And so when you take that away, I do have a lot, you know, all of a sudden, what am I going to do this weekend? You know, luckily one of the grandkids had a graduation party. So we have that to go, you know what I mean? (laughs) And um, so I did know, I mean, I knew I was going to hopefully not get into too deep of a depression, but there is that you, you want to like, feel that high yeah. again. And it's because it's such a great high that you have to come down, you know, that's, you have to come off of it a little bit. So I knew like, okay, keep myself busy with other things for the month of May. That's my goal was like, I'm going to give myself the Good month girl. of May to not get crazy. I mean, I did sign up for a race, but other than that, she did. <laughs> you know, I needed to have, and I was not surprised. <laughs> but as long as I had some outside goals, then I was yeah. okay. To, you know, and it didn't have to be immediate goals, but yeah, so that was it. I'm give, I gave myself the month of May to keep myself busy. I've already read a half a book. So <laughs> that's you know, what I've been doing is, is a lot of pleasure yeah. reading, you know, that sometimes you don't have yeah. time to do because you're raining on the weekend yeah. so much. So, you know, I've given myself, you know, the opportunity to do that. I'm not a huge TV person, so, but we have watched a few movies. <laughs> Uh, if you have any suggestions, I'm open. <laughs> Listen, I, I think what's what what is good, and you touched on it. You said it's it is a lifestyle, and we do see um, often in a, extreme sports, endurance sports, the lifestyle is not so much just the running every day. It's all the people you're connected with. It is that you've implemented goals into your life that you're working toward, and the feedback that you get when you are social in these communities and when you're accomplishing these goals that those keep you propelled just in life. They keep that balance there because you know you're also all the other benefits of being fit, of you know being able to see things on your own two feet. I mean, being an endurance athlete, there's so many benefits far outside of just being able to run or cycle or swim for long periods of time. And so this idea of combating the downward phase after you've done a big event has everything to do with being connected. And I think that, you know, that is difficult if you are not connected with people and if you're not aware of all the other things that make you who you are, you can get into a dark spot. And, you know, I, I think, just who you are, Dev, overall. I mean, you love people. You're a family person. You give back. You have a job. I think that has, is also maybe what helped you um, recover so well because your recovery has been incredible. I don't think I've gotten a email or a note in your training plan yet where you've ever said, oh my gosh, like my IT band is just screaming at me. It's day 15. I, you know, you are, you, your body is very strong. And I was so happy to hear how well it held up, your back held up, your hips, like all the things. The feet is very common. I don't think, you know, feet doesn't always have to do with fitness. Um, You're right. Your body was angry that you were moving nonstop for five days straight. So yeah, it makes sense that the nerves and I think you only had a couple little blisters on your little toes. Wasn't it right? Yeah. My little toes, they kind of got squished in there, I think. And so they, uh, they had a little blister. So I think they lost the skin, you know, yeah. the outer skin on them. 
but it wasn't bad enough. They were never bloody. Did you keep all your toenails? I can't, I don't think you ever told me about your toenails. You know, I have one that's always black. So it's just yeah, black. Paint our toenails. <laughs> it's the same, right. You just paint yeah. over it. It's the same. I finally, I, I didn't want to do any kind of pedicure yet, but I think I'm finally, like it's two and a half weeks. Yeah. I'm ready for a pedicure. Trying <laughs> to pamper yourself a little bit. Are you, do you want to share with us a little bit about your goals? you know, rounding out, we're coming up on the halfway mark of the year. I can't believe it's going to be June in just a matter of eight days. I know it's crazy, (laughs) but Deb has already set some goals for herself, which one I have to say as your coach, I was not surprised at all. I was simply excited. I was like, gosh, I freaking love this woman. (laughs) Like she just is like, okay, now we're going to completely pivot and change the opposite direction which is, and it's a great goal. So share with us what it is that you want to do this year. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I've been to Boston several times, but it's been a long time. And, you know, as I shifted into mountain running and ultra running um, and got away from road running, I don't, you know, it's going to be a challenge to qualify for Boston again. And so um, I can't just like go out there and and do a marathon and say, oh yeah, I can qualify. It's going to take a lot of work. I recognize that my pace is just completely different. My running is completely different than it used to be. And so, yeah, so I put a big cottonwood marathon on my schedule in September. I was easily able to talk about, I think eight friends into doing it with me. (laughs) You're so influential, Deb. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm excited about that. So I'll have a you know a group of people that want to do some long runs with as well. And so I'm going to have you know. So it gives me something to work hard for, uh, but completely different. It's going to be it's a down it's a downhill marathon, but it's going to give me some tur- leg turnover, and I'm going to have to do the evil speed work. The evil speed work, which <laughs> for, for some ultra runners, you know, our speed work equates to fart licks, which are very natural in trail running, right? Like you run fast down a hill, there's like a smooth stretch and you pick up pace, but not a lot of structured uh, speed work, which I think is, you know, for a lot of people I talk to, uh, that is kind of what pulled them into trail running. They just felt like they could run free and um, enjoy so many other aspects about running. Now that's not to say that runners don't have structured training and they're not doing the tempo runs and the hill repeats and all of that stuff. Deb is seeing all of those different kinds of workouts in her training plan. And especially if you're looking to PR uh, or if you'd like to look at maybe the journey of, of more competitive ultra running, you are doing all that kind of work. You're you're putting in speed training weekly. But I think what is interesting to note here is that you have now gone from 250 miles on the trail to wanting to run fast on the road. And the things that uh, just stuck out to me is challenge and the hard work. And I'll tell you what, Deb, that is just signature to who you are and who you have always been. You love the challenge and you're not afraid of the hard work. And knowing that this big iconic race, I mean, who does not love Boston? The opportunity and the gift to race at Boston is just, everyone remembers running at Boston. I remember the one time I did it and it is, it's magical. It's iconic. And you've already now created this community with uh, eight other friends you guys are going to go tackle this journey together. And I know that you are going to do amazing at it, Deb, but constantly setting goals for yourself, constantly setting those challenges, you're proving to yourself what you're capable of doing. And I think that's the flip side of finishing a 250 is the high is, oh my gosh, I am so much more capable than I ever thought. 
I could do? What else can I do? And I know you'll never lose that. And I know that our listeners today are so inspired by you and your journey. Truly anything that you work for, you earned it. I think that sometimes it's very cliche in society today. It's like, if you know, if you, if you can, you know, think it, then you can achieve it. It's like, okay, but there's a big piece of that. If you can think about it, that's in your head. You want to dream it. You will put that work in to achieve it. And it will be possible. You put that work in and you could, you know, I really believe Deb, if, if things went completely sideways and if you didn't make it to that finish line, which we did see a lot of people DNF in this race, um, and that's normal in ultras. I know you would have come back and done it again. And and that is the yeah. real journey. The real journey isn't you try the first time and you make it. It's never giving up until you do make it. And I, I love that you had an incredible race. Nothing was, you did, you, I love that you finished and you texted me and said, it was so smooth. I wouldn't have changed anything. It was like the race of my dreams. It could have got any better. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you were throwing up within the first 40 miles. You had blisters. You were on the verge of rhabdo. You were hypothermic at the top of the climb and you call that a great smooth race. Well, your mindset is why it was because you were so positive, you were enthusiastic, you put in the work, you believed in yourself. And that's why it was a great race. That's why you got to the finish line. And as your coach, I'm so proud to publicly say, I am so proud of you, Deb. I mean, I got chills and tears when, you know, when you had told me about it in, in the very beginning. And I know we had talked a couple days before your race and I just want to say it again. Well, I appreciate you as well because I mean, you're you're a big part of my journey, wow. right? I mean, you kept me you kept me dialed in in the right direction, kept giving me all those tidbits of wisdom along the way, and I just practiced them. And um, so I appreciate you. Well, I, I do appreciate that, and I I just want to say to everyone listening, make sure that you look out for Deb at a at a aid station near you. Uh, she is probably going to be somewhere in Arizona or around the Tahoe region. If you are looking for someone, a friendly face or someone that has just a wealth of knowledge and kindness on the trail. I'll tell you what, when I ran Havelina, Deb was there crewing and helping out for someone else. Um, I have a history of not so fun back pain and she got to see some of my seizing up of my back. And, uh, she is just like a mama to me. I mean, it was just like the coolest thing to have Deb there. Cause you're so calm and kind. And the way that you speak is just like so comforting. So you are the aid station face that we all want to see. So thank you for the way that you give back. You earned and deserved that beautiful, amazing, strong day at Cocodona, 19th woman, uh, first try at the distance, going more than double the distance that you ever have. And I'll tell you what, it couldn't have happened to a better person. Thank you, Deb, for being on the show today. Thank you to our listeners for enduring this long podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it and that you gleaned a lot. Deb, if people do want to follow you, uh, where can they find you on social media? Um, Instagram is Deb, Deb Brunsfar. And the Facebook is Deb Hamberlin. Um, I think Twitter is Deb Runs Far as well. Well, I encourage you guys to follow Deb. And I know uh, just firsthand, if you ever had a question about this race that she just did, I know she is, has such a helpful heart and is just so willing to be there for others. So don't hesitate to reach out to Deb. She is a phenomenal human being. And again, I can't thank you enough, Deb. 
And to our listeners, please continue to um, tune in in the coming months. We have a lot more um, in store for you, some more guests for you. I can't thank you enough for your support of the show. You can always support us here in the podcast as well as subscribing to my app. And you can find those links here in the show comments as well as links to Deb's profiles in the comments as well. Thanks again, Deb. And thanks for everyone tuning in today. Keep choosing strong. Thank you.